It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to episode 82 of the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. Nick Braccia, Stan Dryav coming at you. We're going to break down this weekend's Blades versus Lewis fight card. And, of course, we're going to talk about UFC 255 that took place last weekend. Figueredo and Shevchenko come out and defend their belts. Nikolai, how are you, buddy? Ochentoridos! What was that? It's episode 82, Stan. Episode 82. Why? What did I call it? Did uh, I say it was a different episode? No, I just said it for, I said it for our Spanish-speaking listeners. Got it. I don't speak Spanish. Really? Uh, yeah, uh, not a whole lot of Spanish. Oh. I can read in Spanish, though. Is that impressive? See, si. <laughs> what did you think of the card, buddy? What, so we ended up going to a draw, unfortunately, Nick. And yeah, right when I just when there's only a few cards left, when I'm three behind, yeah, and I needed a win, and you wanted a win to pull away, we got another draw. But I mean, we look at that, but also at least I mean, I know that I picked. I picked several underdogs on this card. Uh, I think I picked three underdogs and two of them won. So maybe maybe better than that. But I was really proud of of picking dogs against the grain. In case in both cases, I think against what you had thought would happen also. And you might have picked some dogs yourself. Um, so I'm pretty. You know, even though we tied, uh, our uh, I'm proud of our analytical ability and, and instincts. So I think a good showing for our show, even if. Uh, it's just going to get tighter and tighter uh, as you and I, and we may need to install something in the scoring uh, to prevent ties as we go to the end towards the end of the season. But of course that would only work if, if you and I both uh, were in agreement around it. Yeah. Uh, I just thought of that now. So no pressure. I'm not trying to uh, sandbag you with that, but uh, you know, I mean, it was a card where I thought the undercard would be better than the main card. And I mean, I don't think that's completely untrue. Although I was expecting, I thought for what we got in that round, Moreno Royval was was the first two and a half minutes was very exciting uh, and very even, and then uh, Moreno took control and did not and did not uh, you know give it back. And we I thought we were going to get a second round, but the unfortunate injury to Brandon Royval's shoulder, which was caused of course by by the violence of Brandon Moreno. Uh, put the fight out in the first round. But I'm hopeful that maybe we'll see these guys go again. I could see this being like a GSP Matt Hughes uh, situation where, where in a couple of years, maybe Roy Vall gets to uh, exact revenge on Brandon Moreno. Uh, but we'll we'll see. So that one wasn't quite what I wanted. But at the same time, it's we still learned something and it was still gratifying. But that was the fight I was most looking forward to. Yeah, I was very much looking forward to that fight. I expected it to be fight of the night, and I expected Brandon Moreno to do well here. You and I disagreed on this pick, and I thought that Brandon Moreno showed that he is the better fighter in those you know, five minutes that we did see a fighting. He yes. outstruck him. He out-wrestled him. I think uh, with Brandon Moreno, his uh, I'm sorry, with Brandon Royval, his big weakness is that guys can take him down and control him if they're more athletic, if they have better wrestling than him. And honestly, Brandon Moreno also showed better striking, which Royval is pretty dangerous standing with his just blitzing offensive pressure style. Really good on Moreno, and he's going to segue that win right into a title shot against the guy in the main event, Davidson Figueredo, who 
basically looked very human against Alex Perez for about a minute and a half before locking in that guillotine choke and uh, finishing the fight in under two minutes. Figueredo is a dangerous, dangerous man. You and I spoke about how, you know, well, I spoke about how Alex Perez is going to be the better wrestler here, and Figueredo struggled against better wrestlers in the past. Um, but I still expected Figueredo's power and his submission game to be a factor. I even mentioned the guillotine of Figueredo as being like a real dangerous uh, weapon of his, and he ended up pulling it off, man. Really impressive by Figueredo. In some ways, I thought it was even more impressive than his wins against Benavidez, who was certainly over the hill. Uh, Perez is a guy who I think one could argue that he's at, at or approaching his prime. Yeah. Um, but the way... The way that he pivoted, that Figueredo pivoted into that guillotine was so smooth and so instinctual. Um, it, it answered any questions I had about his fight IQ. I wonder if his Formiga loss and problems he's had against wrestling have had to do with the weight cut issues and, and weakness there. Um, we, you know, this fight didn't go on very long, but he just looks so strong and confident and comfortable and savvy. And when you when you match that up with his submission skills and the devastating power it's you know i'll tell you what like that fight with brendan moreno is going to be really really interesting because the one thing that we learned about moreno or we saw against royville was how much i think how much stronger he was he's got a thicker build he's the younger fighter than royville and yet he seems that he's he's more filled out yeah um and there yeah i don't i i'm not i don't think figueredo is going to be able to, to bully him i think it's going to be a real war and and we'll see We'll see what happens because Moreno is going to he is going to uh, taste that power and we're going to find out what happens uh, when he does. Yeah, no question about it. And look, Moreno, ever since he came back to the UFC, he's looked really, really good. Uh, like I said last week, I know he has that draw against Askar Askarov, but I, I think most pundits thought that he deserved that win. And Askar Askarov turns out is a really good fighter himself. Uh, and Moreno was able to land strikes, knocked him down, I think, twice was able to take him down, even though he also did get taken down by the adept wrestler. And yeah, seeing him against Figueroa will be fascinating. Also, I wonder how the that short was four notes. fights ago, four fight that was four fights ago, and he's like, listen, I had picked Oskarov in that fight. I won, I won that fight. I still think that Oskarov deserved. I mean, I thought it was very close and could have gone either way, but I thought Oskarov um, deserved the decision. But he has looked better in all of his fights since then. Um, I think he's improved a lot over the last 12 months, and I think he's going to bring it. I mean, he does have way back when. He's got two losses to Alexander Pantoja. Um, I'm sure he's going to get an opportunity uh, to avenge that at some point um, in their third bout. That seems like something that's going to happen, right? If Pantoja can make it up to that point, I think Moreno at this point is quite a bit past Pantoja. Pantoja, who was like a real serious prospect at that time, is now one and two. In well, his last yeah, race. but he's lost to figure. Yeah, against Figueredo and Askarov. I mean, yeah, and, I don't know how and, much you can take from that. Well, like that's... <laughs> Askarov kind of dominated him, and Moreno, uh, Moreno and Askarov had like a back and forth in which Askarov was knocked down twice and taken down a couple times. So yeah, yeah, I, I think at this point, uh, I think we're past the point of considering uh, Pantoja maybe. like a serious prospect. Just um, look, maybe he can come back and have some success. But we've seen him kind of lose heart and lose his will and fights a couple times already, and that's not usually what makes a champion. What makes a champion is somebody like Brandon Moreno, who over the years has, he, you know, I, I spoke about how he is a really good grappler, and that's why I wasn't concerned about Brandon Royval's ground game in this, even though it looks so dangerous in his first two UFC bouts. 
um, the guy the guy came into the UFC, came into the Ultimate Fighter. Moreno did as a grappler. He was almost purely a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu fighter, and then he's really sharpened up his boxing, his conditioning, uh, his overall MMA IQ has come up through the roof. So yeah, with wins over Kaikara France, Jose Formiga, Brandon Royval now, all of these guys were really well respected when Moreno beat them. And I think going into the Figueroa fight, this is the most deserving challenger. If you know, if we're not talking about a Henry Cejudo or anyone like that being anywhere near 125 pounds at this point, and I think he's the most yep. deserving challenger. I, I'm fascinated by the matchup. I think the short notice nature of it is going to yeah. That's the thing it. I was going to ask you about the two Figueroa having to make two weight cuts, knowing that he he maybe cuts up you know upwards of 25 or 30 pounds. Um, and doing that twice in three weeks, like after we saw what potentially happened to El Kukui, what does that mean for, for Figueredo in that fight? Yes, Moreno has to make the same cut. I don't know if he's got, I mean, he's a big dude from 125. I don't know how the cut treats him. Um, I don't remember him having any issues, but it's, I don't remember every time that some guy in the UFC has come in over. I mean, Figueredo's six years older. Yeah, Figueredo is a few years older. He's a couple of inches shorter than this, but he is probably more filled out, I would say, overall. Uh, a lot more fast twitch muscle fiber on, on Davis and Figueredo. But look, Brandon Moreno's never complained about weight cuts. I'm not so sure that it will affect him very much here. Um, Figueredo, though, like coming into this last bout, apparently had the best weight cut of his career. And I know he, you know, missed weight against uh, in his first title against Benavidez, yeah, uh, several months ago. But apparently he was at his lightest going in and he felt really good. So that's a good sign for him. But I agree, it's a concern. I think if the fight goes late, this could prove to be a super close back and forth war with Moreno potentially coming on strong at the end. And then I'd love to watch some tape on these guys with them each in mind as the opponent in order to really figure out what the first couple of rounds will look like. Figueredo can smoke guys and just blow them out of the water. Moreno's not really the type to get smoked. So again, it's a it's a very interesting matchup. It's rare that you and I get to talk about last week's card and preview a fight between two of the uh, biggest winners on that card that's coming up in a couple of weeks. This is this is pretty cool, uncharted territory, but the UFC badly needed a main event for UFC 256, and they got it from this matchup here. Yeah, yeah, with Jan coming out, and then we got, I mean, and, the, and we'll talk about it more next week, but the co-main event with, with Tony uh, taking on the Bronx is, like, that's really exciting. It's a real fight fans pay-per-view. It really is. Well, yeah, at least those top two fights, I'm, I'm looking at the card overall. It's not, like, yeah, I've super got impressive look. outside of that. I, I think the UFC has some work to do to bring in some late replacements that are worth buying the pay-per-view for because Figueredo is, he deserves to be a star, but I don't know if he's there yet, and I don't know if he's going to Oh, he's, he's, he's certainly not. Right. No, he's certainly not a star. Right, right. Not yet. But but again, he's he has a lot of those it factors, especially for a guy at 125, a guy that's usually going to look smaller than most referees that uh, that officiate his fights. Uh, the guy has the it factor. He also looks a little bit like like a like a like a normal human being size if you if you don't see the giants around him. So there is that factor. But man, he's interesting. He's a hunter. He's a finisher. He's extremely skilled. He's violent. Um, so again, a, a deserving champion. I'm glad to see him at the yeah. top of this division. Let's talk about Valentina now. Wait, well, hang on. Just well, just, just well, one quick second here because I do want to talk about the rest. We're going to get into it later. That pay per view, but I'm looking at it and I'm seeing Hanato Moicano against Rafael uh, Fiziev. I'm seeing Tisha Torres, Angela Hill. Yeah. I'm seeing um, 
Wait, it's Tisha Torres, Angela Hill. Angela Hill. Um, there was another uh, Andrea Lee, Jillian Robertson. Cyril Gon, and we've got JDS. the Cyril Gain, Cyril Gon JDS. Which yeah. I mean, I think we know which way that's going to go. But very important fight for uh, for a notch for Cyril Gon to have on his belt. Yep. Um, and the jujitsu insanity that's going to be Mackenzie Desern against Vera Jandarova. Like I'm f- super fired up for that card. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. I'm actually looking at the UFC website, and uh, I only see five fights filled out for it. Maybe they're just showing the main card or something. Um, and that, you know, the the Fiziev moikano fight, I'm very excited about. Gan versus JDS, I think, is a great stepping stone for Gan. Uh, Ferguson Oliveira is great. Moreno Figueiredo is great. Yeah, those last couple of fights you mentioned. You're Vittori right. against ja- Vittori against Jacare. That's a that's a. I mean, yeah, that's not, not a, it's funny. That's I'm, not a bad. I'm not seeing that on the pages where I'm looking, but that's great. You're right. I'm all on. I'm on top. Yeah, I'm on topology. You got a cup like Swanson, a Daniel Pineda. Card. That won't be boring. You got all kinds of female contenders. Angela Hill, Tisha Torres. I'm really excited for. Yeah, that's a good, that's a real battle of the will fight. You know what each one each one of them is going to want to do, and is the other one going to be able to stop them? Yeah, I'm, I'm there um, with you. There are definitely some good fights on there, especially since you have Tapology pulled up. Obviously, they're more up to date than the UFC website itself, it seems like. But yeah, you're right. That sounds like a pretty Tapology, solid card. Tapology knows before the fighters know. You're not kidding, right? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if some fighters find out by logging on to Tapology who they're fighting in the near future. Uh, let's talk about the co-main event. Valentina Shevchenko yep. had to get through, you know, a, a, a kind of a losing round in the second after a very safe first round to really bring some pep out of her. I talked last week about how the excitement level in this fight is going to entirely depend on how Maya performs, right? If she's aggressive, Valentina Shevchenko looks real good when her opponent's being aggressive. If she is tepid and she's staying at a distance, then Valentina Shevchenko will throw about 12 strikes around. And luckily, it you know it started off very slow with Valentina controlling and doing almost nothing from top position in the first round. And then the opposite happening in the second round for the first time, I think, ever. We see Valentina clearly losing a round against Maya, who came in as prepared as she possibly could be uh, into this bout. And after that, Valentina Shevchenko had the fire that she needed to perform like I know that she's always capable of performing. Right. And she ended up, uh, she ended up actually going for it, actually pushing forward with strikes, which I've almost never seen on Shevchenko. Um, it, it's nice to see that side of her. And it's also nice to see that there is a hole in her game that we haven't really seen before. Right. And fights that she's lost were very competitive, but she was on her back against Amanda Nunes, if I remember correctly. And she looked very human there, right. With Amanda Nunes walloping some shots from top position, Jennifer Maya was able to get that top position in the second round. And again, we're seeing the potential opening. We're seeing the potential way that Valentina Shevchenko can lose in the near future. Maybe it is somebody like Tatiana Suarez who will move up to 125 that can take her, that can consistently take her down. Um, And I I think she has a lot of work to do before she can get there. Don't get me wrong. But again, we're seeing the opening for Shevchenko. We're seeing that there is a way to beat her and it's putting her on her back and honestly just keeping your P's and Q's uh, about her submission game from her back because she can catch those on bars. Um, So I would say a revealing fight for us in a lot of ways. Jennifer Maya is a really solid fighter. She's a tough fighter. She's mentally and physically strong and quite frankly came in condition for this fight she was ready for the five rounds and she believed in herself you can tell with the way that she was fighting and Shevchenko again we saw the opening in her game we saw her being aggressive for the first time maybe ever and that was really nice to see Maya brought out the best in Shevchenko and that was uh, that was cool and then we it was also the best Jennifer Maya so the fight the fight was certainly more compelling than a lot of people um, thought I don't think it you know I don't think it could be called a washout um, so good, you know, a good, you know, a good challenger. 
Yeah. But again, for the record, Valentina Shevchenko did her extremely safe strategy in that first round, right? Like we yep. saw what she prefers to do, what she, how she prefers to fight. And I'm glad she found herself in a situation where she clearly lost the round, like arguably dominant. Like she didn't take many strikes. Uh, I'm glad we saw her uh, really go for it. Tim Means, Mike Perry was an exciting back and forth uh, war. Mike Perry now seven and seven in the UFC. He is a mid-level fighter at best. I think his best win by far is that victory over Paul Felder several a uh, couple of years ago. Uh, outside of that, man, like his his win list does not include anybody of note. He's a mediocre fighter, if we're going to be honest, but he's compelling and he's interesting and he's a madman. Tim Means, who's got a much more successful UFC record, even though he's got a handful of losses there as well, uh, looked good here. Persevered through some tough moments against the Mike Perry that didn't even come close to making weight after posting multiple Instagram videos of himself eating absolute junk leading up to that weigh-in. So uh, what are your thoughts on this one, man? You know, it was it was what I picked. I mean, I picked I picked Means. Um, of course, he did. So did I. It was an obvious pick. I don't know yeah. why the outs were so. Yeah, weird. a lot of people. A lot of pe- Yeah, a lot of people were picking Perry. I just think it's because he gets a lot of press and because he hits hard. But yeah. Mean looks Means looks so good in that last fight. Um, yeah, I just don't think there's a lot. You know, I think Perry is an attraction fighter. Like you can put him in there with. Um, some of the over, you know some of the over the hill welterweights or um, scrappy action fighter guys on the way up who are not going to have the the well rounded skills or have a glaring weakness, and you'll get some and you'll get some barn burners. But I think what we're what we're essentially looking at is oh my god why can't I remember his name right now? Um, who did who did Korean Zombie get the twister on? I have I have no idea who you have in mind. Leonard Garcia. Oh right right. Um, yeah, I mean, Mike Perry, for me, like Mike Perry is kind of a welterweight Leonard Garcia. And that's, I think that's the best he's going to get. Yeah, I hear you there. He's just not a quality fighter. And I think like outside of him being promotable, we need to get over the hype. And again, you and I both saw that. Uh, you, however, Nick saw past Caitlin Shukagian's what have you done for me lately? She is one and two, uh, going into this fight in her last three. And, and I picked a lot her of people. Yeah, that's right. A lot of people wrote her off. She was a big uh, underdog to Cynthia Cavillo. I saw it as a complete pick I thought the odds were completely skewed here. But I did edge toward Cavillo because of how many times Caitlin Shukagian has given up takedowns lately. Uh, that wasn't to be the case here. Shukagian looked good. She was able to keep her yeah. distance. She was a much bigger woman. And a lot of people overvalued Cynthia Cavillo. It went exactly the way that I thought it would. Like... Cavillo is not Jessica Andrade, and I didn't, <clears throat> and she's also not Carla Esparza, I don't think. Um, so, as far as far as her her takedown ability goes and her her tenacity there, and uh, Chukagian used used her length and her reach. I know that was a little bit redundant, and she you know she she did what she had to do. The fight went exactly the way I thought it would, um, unless Chukagian had been mentally broken by that Andrade defeat or, or really physically hampered by it, knowing that we're only less. I think we're like less than a month out from that, or maybe a month. It wasn't that long ago for sure. Um, but I mean, to to step in is to step in as the underdog coming off of a really humbling defeat. Um, I thought she really, I thought she did exactly what she had to do, and she put Cavillo in her place. Yeah, she, uh, Caitlin Shukagian basically, basically Caitlin Shukagian 
Cynthia Covio. She did exactly what she did, and it worked. Like, it was enough to keep her at a distance with those kicks with a consistent offense. I mean, she only landed nine more strikes, and she gave up a takedown, right? So it wasn't like a dominant walloping, but she clearly earned that decision. Good on her coming off of a little bit of a skid. Paul Craig dominated Mauricio Hua. I talked about how Paul Craig— Yeah, I, admit, I, I picked this one wrong. Yeah, and you picked Mauricio Hua kind of high, and, and, and I had my concerns there. Uh, Paul Craig, like I spoke about how his double leg is really solid, and from top position, he's dangerous, and I felt like that could be a way for him to go there, but I wasn't confident that he'd go for it given his success on the feet in their first matchup several months ago. And Mauricio Hua, who's you know been consistently surviving early terrible moments to then come out with a win over younger light heavyweights wasn't able to do that here he was dominated on the ground tapped to strikes in that second round uh paul craig just had his number i think the biggest thing that paul craig gained from that first matchup was the fact that he could compete at this level he had a lot of reasons to doubt himself leading into their first matchup and this time he had very little reason and, and he showed a really good performance by him yeah i think shogun said very very early in the fight he, he sustained a bad elbow in injury i believe it was caused by craig but i think that the tap had more to do with whatever happened to shogun's elbow than the strikes i don't know if i believe that uh, like i think shogun tapped he, he could have just waited a few more yeah. seconds the referee was going to wave him off shogun's not uh, the same yeah. guy he doesn't have the same heart i don't blame him no. right? He's been through so many wars. Shogun was my first favorite fighter in the sport, Nick. When I back when I watched Pride uh, and and he went bust through that middleweight tournament, bust through guys like Noguera, Little Nog, uh, through guys like Quentin Jackson, made them all look so human, Nick. He just like destroy was destroying guys back then, and he was my favorite fighter. He was the most exciting, high octane pressure all offense fighter, and. Here we are, man. So many years later, he's won the Pride title. He's won the UFC title. He's accomplished a monumental amount. And it just seems like he's one of those guys that can't really call it a career. He's going to want to keep competing uh, for as long as he possibly can. And Dana White has voiced uh, a preference for Shogun Jesus. to retire. He's not 40. Soon. How's it possible that Shogun's not 40? Isn't that correct? What is he, like 37 at this point? I guess he started uh, 39. 39. I guess okay. he. I mean, I guess he started fighting at. Uh, yeah, he was real, real young. He started fighting at like twenty. Yeah, at like twenty-one. Eighteen years ago, Nikolai. That's or, yeah, and he was. Yeah, and he was like twenty-four when he was soccer kicking Rampage's head in. Yeah, and he yep, didn't. Right. And when he when he joined the UFC, when he got choked out by Forrest Griffin in that shocking, uh, shocking fight, just you know six months or seven months after he knocked out Overeem, um, he would have been two. He would have been. Only twenty six. Is that possible? Uh, yeah, yeah. Shogun yeah, was Shogun was only twenty six years, but he had already you know he had already kind of peaked to some extent. He did fight those, you know, that he had the tough fight against Coleman where he looked super gassed, even though he was only like twenty eight. Yeah. And then he knocked out Liddell, which at this at that point was no no great shakes. And but you know he, that's the Machida fights were were a real terrific moment. But yes, it's safe to say that Shogun peaked in peaked in pride. I think that's fair. Uh, yeah, I think it's probably safe to say, uh, but again, he did, you know, he did that to Machida when nobody did that to Machida, right? He, he got screwed in the decision. I would actually like to watch that, uh, fight against Machida from 2009 to see if I would still clearly score it for Shogun. He lost that screw job of a decision. At least that's the way I remember it. And then he came back and knocked Machida out in the first round. And that's when Machida was 16 and 0 blowing through everybody. And then that John Jones fight where he lost the title in his first defense. I remember I was there live in New Jersey, Nikolai. 
Eli. Uh, I think it was John Jones that walked right past where we were sitting on his way to the octagon. And man, uh, Shogun still being one of my favorite fighters, I was really concerned. I was like, man, this kid is going to maul him. Shogun's knees suck. Shogun doesn't look in shape anymore. And that's kind of how it happened, man. He just overwhelmed uh, Shogun. And I think like since that moment, Nick, Shogun never pieced together more than three wins. And his three-fight winning streak wasn't until uh, 2015 to 2017, like fairly recently, right? So he's had a real tough go ever since that loss to uh, Jones. And I think a lot of it is due to a lack of health. Like his knees were were botched. I don't know how much training he's getting. His conditioning was never that great. And we also need to think about what, what are those two fights with, you know, Dan Henderson on the vitamins do to him? Like You are not kidding, man. Those were wars, Nick. That was eight rounds of of you know fighting a statue. Yeah, <laughs> like no joke, man. You, you you are not kidding. And it really was like Shogun took so much punishment. He was knocked down so many times in those bouts, and that easily took uh, a couple of years from his career and probably a couple of years from his life when it's all said and done. Um, let's talk about Joachim Buckley, who came out with a second round knockout of Jordan Wright. I think you and I largely expected that to go down. Antonina Shevchenko dominated Arian Lipsky, man. Like it seems like her ground game on the offense is solid. That was the other one I picked. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Uh, her ground game on the offense is solid, but on the defense, uh, it's not very good. And as long as she's on top, she's confident. She's in a good place. Looked really good here against Lipsky. Lip, Lipsky should be a should be a uh, a, a straw weight. I mean, don't you think? Uh, yeah, you're probably right. I, I never really thought of it in that context, but you're probably. I mean, right. she's um, five. She's five six, but she just seems. I don't know. She seems uh, slight to me. She doesn't seem strong. I, I'm there with you. If Antonina Shevchenko, who was completely uh, overmatched in the strength department by Roxanne Matafari, granted skill had a lot to do with it too, um, you know, if she's going to dominate Ariane Lipsky physically as she did, maybe you're right. Maybe 115 is not a bad way to go. But also Lipsky, like, she's incredibly talented, but I'm not sure, like, how much heart she has. I'm not sure how much perseverance she has in her, right? Like, when things start going oh, wrong she has, she has, she has my She has my heart, Stan. Oh, and, and that really means a lot, and, uh, and 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 I'm sure it means a lot to her, Nick. Even though even though she has a broken broken orbital bone right now. <laughs> yeah, she 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 posted a she posted a picture and and she was gracious in her defeat. But uh, to be yeah. quite honest with you, I'm not sure that she's a high level enough of a fighter for us to be dedicating this much time to. Uh, Nicholas Dalby Daniel Rodriguez was a competitive back and forth fight. I thought that the odds were a little skewed with Dalby. You know, he's a really skilled guy. It's his chin that I had concerns about. I thought Daniel Rodriguez landed the bigger, more more pronounced shots but Nicholas Dalby walks away with a decision in which he clearly uh, I thought he won the third round but I thought those first two rounds belonged to his opponent and can I just say quickly Rodriguez landed 83 much harder strikes to Dalby's 50 Rodriguez outlanded him in all three rounds Nick um, uh, somebody's a little bum margin. little bum they didn't get the decision huh no, and, and no, look, the, the truth is that I'm, I'm bummed that the guy with the higher ceiling didn't get the win here because yeah. this, this could set him back. And yeah, like if, if this decision had gone the right way, uh, I would have won our event. But I'm not worried about that, Nick. I'm three ahead. We got like a couple events left this this uh, this season. I'm feeling good. But, and just to be clear, M- MMA decisions was about 50-50. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, that, that's fair. But would you agree that Rodriguez landed the harder shots? I don't. It's hard. It's hard. to. T- I'd have to watch it again. Uh, Ellen Jalban uh, basically dominated Jaron Gooden for the most part. That's what I expected. I think Jaron, like there were some people that were high up on Jaron Gooden as a real prospect. I don't think he's that good. I don't think uh, like he doesn't piece combos together. He put, you know, he put a bit of a fight uh, up in that third round, but it wasn't enough. Ellen Jalban's still a really good fighter. Uh, he's, you know, about to hit 40 if he hasn't yet. 
Uh, so there are some concerns about his durability and his chin uh, at this point, but I, I thought he did exactly what we expected him to do. Kyle Dock has dominated Dustin Stolzfuss, who was 13 and one going into this. Yeah, you, you do that a lot better than I do. Uh, dominated I was, him, I was, 13 and one going into I was just making shit up. <laughs> it was. It sounded. It sounded legit to me. And then huge upset with Sasha Palatnikov. I talked about how uh, the guy doesn't really have much tape out there on him. And Luis Koshi, who's been running through opponents, I talked about how we have no idea if he has any heart, if he has any conditioning. And we got to find out the answers to all of that. Sasha Palatnikov isn't a great fighter, but he was good enough to persevere through some semi-rough moments early to take over. Yeah, it's it's we've learned about some of those some of the, we've learned about these guys this year a little bit, and it's something he can correct on if it was mostly his conditioning or burning out. But like shades of Edmund Shabazian in terms of just like no plan B, out of gas. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. Koshi Koshi was a young and is a young inexperienced guy and uh, yeah. going seven and zero going into his UFC debut with his total fight time. I spoke about last week how he has fought a total of less than I think fourteen minutes or less than fifteen minutes certainly in his entire career. Nick, forget about what having one decision. The man has not gone past the first round. So yeah, he this was a hard lesson learned. He needed uh, it's to learn not it. not just that he has not. Oh, wait, if you're going in the last, I mean, only once he's gone he's gone past ninety seconds. Yeah, you're not kidding. He had he had one late, uh, you know, one late fourth round win, uh, in Bear River, uh, FC, who like whatever whatever that yeah, is, right? Um, against a guy you know who was two and three. It was his second fight, and his other fights like eighteen second knockout, eighteen second night yep. knockout. You know, yep. it's and, uh, and if you look at the opposition, Nick, four and four, four and eight, eighteen oh, yeah. and forty two, oh and oh, two and three. Eighteen uh, and forty two, credit yeah. to that guy for sticking <laughs> with what he what he loves. Yeah, you're not kidding, Nikolai. You're not that 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 forty bucks a fight m- must really be paying the bills. And his yeah, his career disclosed earnings are a thousand bucks. I'm sure I'm sure he's made oh. a little bit more than that, but not not much more, Nick. Not in the sport of MMA, unfortunately. So, yeah, look, overall, decent card. Was it $65 worthy? I'm not so sure, but I'm glad the two champs came through. The two, uh, you know, best fighters at 125 by far um, came through and looked really good in their bouts. Nikolai, we are going to take a break. We're going to come back and break down Blades versus Lewis for you guys. Nikolai, this is your opportunity. You're going to need to pick up a win here, brother. Yeah, I know. I need I need this one, and it's a tough. It's a card with a lot of tough picks on it, uh, including the main event. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. I, I I'm right there with you. Buddy. We'll see. We'll see. Let's take a break. Come back and break it down. Back on the MMA Geek Sea Level podcast. And we're going to break down UFC Fight Night, formerly Lewis versus Blades. But Nick, we just found out here on Friday morning that Curtis Blades tested positive for COVID. You and I both know that was going to be your first pick. Derek Lewis, that's your guy. And now you can't have it. Yeah, I like the Black Beast. Uh, he's really grown on me over, over time. I like Curtis Blades too. I was excited for that fight. The rest of this card is, this is what we used to call the Facebook prelims. <laughs> yeah, you're not kidding. It's it's, it's ten Facebook prelims in a row. Oh, so funny. Not. Yeah, I mean we, we've got Anthony Smith in the main event against Devin Clark. I mean neither of these guys are ever sniffing the top five ever again. Um, and then a bunch of people that I I don't think anybody else is ranked on this card. So 
pretty like low consequence card. There are a couple of, I think, prospects that are worth looking at in this one, and maybe that'll be kind of the takeaway from this card. Um, a few people that are on the brink of potentially getting cut who might yes. just, you know, might just stay in the UFC a bit longer and get another shot at it. But no, not, not a whole lot to look forward to here. Um, this has uh, gotten a little bit depressing. Yeah, no, there really, there really isn't. I'm like, oof, I'm, yeah, this is some iffy shit. So I guess the fir- it's your first pick, right, this week? Yes, sir. It is my first pick, and that makes it. I mean, again, with the elimination of that card, these top like five or six picks, you know, certainly shifts things over for me. As my first pick, Nick, I think that I'm going to take. In the Kai Kamaka Jonathan Pierce matchup, uh, GSP was seen as a prospect. Jonathan Pierce going into his UFC debut as a favorite against Joe Lazan. He got starched in less than two minutes by the aging veteran. Kamaka is a serious prospect with sharp, relentless boxing offense and consistent takedowns. He trains with Extreme Couture in Vegas, which is why he was able to take this fight on short notice. Uh, JSP is way too hittable, I think, to face a guy like Kamaka, even with Kamaka taking it on on like six days' notice. If a Kamaka can't finish Pierce early, I'd like him to bank the first two rounds and then maybe you know get pretty exhausted in that third round but still make it through. I have some concerns about his cardio and the size difference here. Pierce is six feet tall and Kamaka's 5'7". But Pierce has pretty short arms and walks right into the pocket. He's just not super athletic, and I think that's another kind of big discrepancy here is in the athleticism. So I like uh, Kai Kamaka the third to take the win here. Uh, I'm with you 100% there. For my first pick, um, I'm also going to go with the JP, um, but I'm going to pick this JP to win. That is Josh Parisian, who um, had a pretty great showing on the Contender Series back in August against Chad Johnson is going to be taking on Parker Porter, uh, who we saw on the receiving end of a Dawkus Brothers uh, beating um, in August. They both have had about the same amount of time since their, since their last fights. But uh, I, Parker Porter, I was not, you know, not super impressed with, with uh, the tape that I'd watched on him previous to the Dawkus fight. Um, and I think that I think that Josh Parisian is the is the fighter with the um, with the greater upside here. Um, so I'm going to go I'm going to go with him for uh, probably finishing the first round. Both men will tip the scales at 265 pounds. These are giant heavyweights. Parisian is the taller man with a four inch height advantage. He's coming into this fight on a six fight win streak while Porter lost his UFC debut against, like you said, uh, heavyweight prospect Chris Dawkins. Porter is the better striker while Parisian has some solid ground to pound from Mount. But the combined record of Parisian's opponents until his contender series fight is 22 and 32 Nick. Porter has been fighting and beating better fighters. So I like Porter to score a big upset over the overhyped Parisian who has limited skill and is used to kind of crushing tomato cans. Uh, Parker Porter huh. looked pretty – yeah, he, he looked pretty good against Dawkins, Nick. Like if you if you watch that fight again, yeah, once he got hurt, everything was downhill. But until then, man, Dawkins is a super fast, super explosive boxer at heavyweight, right? And – Porter was right there with him, back and forth. Porter's like an experienced, gritty veteran, you know, fought the likes of John Jones back in the day. I I like him here. I, I think he has a good chance of scoring the upset, especially at these odds. I'm going with the underdog. Although a lot of people are high on Parisian. I just feel like if you watch his tape, he's not like super athletic. He's not super explosive. He doesn't have serious power. I think he's a little overrated. I guess two, I mean, two contender series wins. Yeah, true. But, uh, you not know, knockout. he didn't get picked up after that first one. True. Uh, and by the way, when he gets into mount, he's a killer. Well, uh, yeah, but it was against a guy who was 24 and and he won with a spinning back fist. I mean, I don't yeah. know why. I don't know what the reason was why he didn't get signed. Uh, yeah, that's actually a good point. I wonder. I do want. I didn't. Really, I don't know if I realized he had two contender series fights. 
I see. I see why Nick. Uh, it looks like he did get that first round knockout by spinning back fist. By the way, that was a minute and thirty into the. Ra- I mean, like you know, you got an early knockout. It's not necessarily indicative of the fact that you're a high level fighter. But then he, they put him into the Ultimate Fighter season twenty eight. Nick, if you had done your research, you would I did. Know I know. I know, and he lost. But <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, yeah, we we disagree on this one, and and for that reason, I'm glad you picked it early. Look, I see it as a pickup. I think he could easily go either way. Uh, it depends on if Parisian can get into mount and if Porter can, you know, keep it in boxing range. But again, I, I see it as a pick. I think the odds are way too lopsided and they've gotten closer over the course of this week. Uh, my second pick is going to be in the Sue Madarerji versus Mark Malcolm uh, Gordon matchup. Malcolm is known for his Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He's a brown belt, but he's a decent striker with plenty of movement. Um, Mudarji is known for his southpaw striking, pretty sharp and likes to throw fancy shit here and there. But he has improved in his grappling defense, judging by his win over Andre Sukumtat. Each guy is strong with the other guy where the other guy is weak. Because of the athleticism, imagine the fact that Gordon tapped to a kind of a semi-triangle choke in his UFC debut. I'm favoring Mudarji to give Gordon his fourth knockout loss. I had that same pick all lined up, and it was coming at you soon. God, looking <laughs> at looking at these fights. Oof. Now it becomes tough. Like the rest it's of these all, fights could oof. easily go either way. <laughs> <It's Yeah>. like, <laughs> I'm despite the the somewhat some kind of little bit of success that she had over Paige Van Zant, um, who herself was kind of a hot mess in her um in the back half of her UFC career. I'm gonna go with Gina Mazzani over Rachel Ostovich. I don't think um, Osevich is really a UFC level fighter. I don't think Mizani is either. Um, but I guess an argument uh, can be made that Mizani has been in there, uh, with some, with some better UFC fighters, <laughs> you know, losing to, losing to McMahon, losing to Juliana Pena, losing to, losing to Lena Landsberg and Macy Chazon. Those are all, you know, those are all tough, tough, uh, fighters. And Julia Avila, Avila is no, uh, is no slouch either. Um, despite that that loss that she had to Sarge Eubank, she's I think that was a fight where it just got it got away from her because she her when she had some adversity, her fight IQ went out the window and she didn't really have a plan B. Um, I so I would love to see that one run back uh, with Avila having time to get to game plan differently about it. But you know, versus what we've seen um, from from Rachel uh, Ostovich, who hasn't fought since that that Paige Van Zandt armbar loss. Um, I just think I just think Mazzani is a hot is I don't think she's much of a prospect, but I think she's higher level than Ostevich and can maybe hang around um, the lower ranks of the UFC uh, for a little bit, you know, for a little bit longer at um, at this weight class. So this one is to me one of the toughest fights to pick on the card. I think Rachel Ostevich actually has a lot of skill. She's like very strong, uh, powerful hips in, in defending and landing takedowns Gina Mazzani is the much bigger girl she's got the tenacity advantage in my opinion she's just gonna freaking go for it and she just tries to land offense from every single position um I also like her conditioning I think she's got the conditioning advantage that's part of the reason I think Ostevich is lost in the UFC is either it was a mental kind of slip or like a conditioning issue right the same thing that Chael Sonnen had where he could dominate a fight for several minutes or a couple of rounds and then out of nowhere lose that's kind of how Ostovich tends to work like if you see her if you watch her technique she's technical she's explosive she's good uh, Mazzani is not so technical but again it's her tenacity size and conditioning here um I like either easily could go either way I'm gonna 
slightly edge toward Ostovich, I guess, just to disagree with you, just to make it interesting. Um, I just feel like she has the technique advantage, even though she's much smaller. I think that she should be able to land takedowns if she chooses to go for them. By the way, the girl's got 750,000 Instagram followers, Nick, because, you know, she posts a lot of Wait, who do, pictures of who herself. Does? Uh, Ostovich does. And... And like, and, and that's another factor. Like, I wonder if that gives her the mobility. That's what allows her not to have to compete all the time, right? That's a serious followership, a lot of sponsorships, and, and that sort of thing that she can uh, kind of push on her Instagram. So I, I realize she doesn't need to fight, but I feel like that puts her in a position where she has good reason to be in shape because she's constantly taking pictures. I'm assuming that she's in decent cardiovascular shape, so giving her the slightest edge here. But you're right. These are probably not UFC caliber, caliber fighters as far as their records show. But Ostovich has some skill. Um, my next pick, yeah, I'm, I'm going to favor Luke Sanders over Nate Manis. Yep, me Nate too. Nate Manis is actually a pretty technical, skilled fighter uh, going into his, I think, UFC debut here after the Contender Series. Uh, but Luke Sanders is explosive, man. Like, he's another guy that slips on a banana peel after looking really good against high-level competition. Um, I think he's going to be stronger. I think he's going to have the grappling edge. And Luke Manis, actually, he did have uh, one UFC fight, and he got taken down a bunch of times in that fight, barely made it through against a kind of a mid-level opponent. So I like Sanders to keep his shit together here and, and score either a decision or a finish. Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely thinking the same. Um, I'm going to go with, and this is where I got to look up some first names myself here because <laughs> I'm just, after Thanksgiving, I'm just shot. I'm going to go with the undefeated welterweight Miguel Baeza, um, who we saw just fucking crack, uh, Matt Brown. Although if I remember correctly, he took a, he took a couple of shots in the first round oh, yeah. of that. Big time. Um, but he, he went through the adversity and we know that Matt Brown's got some fire. Um, I'm going to take him to defeat, uh, you know, a hard hitter and a great fighter, uh, Takashi Sato. Um, mo and a lot of the, my rationale here, and I know that you sometimes make fun of me for like looking at guys' records and doing MMA math, but I feel like Baeza seems to me uh, like a like potentially a bigger upside, more athletic um, version of of Bilal Muhammad, um, who who was able to defeat Sato. And I just uh, I think this is going to be a fight that could potentially catapults Baeza into the top 20. Yeah, I, I could see this being a big win for either guy, especially if they can finish. Oh, yeah. Whoever wins, it's a it's a next it's a it's a definitely um, this is a this is the I think this is the prospect fight of the card. Yeah. Um, yeah. See, this one's particularly interesting to me on paper. Just looking at it, I favored Baeza initially. But then looking at tape, I realized a couple of things that that make this that could favor Sato a bit here, right? Um, both guys train in Florida with fairly good teams. Baeza with MMA Masters, which is kind of on the come up. They recently acquired Colby Covington as probably the biggest name in that gym. And then Sato trains with Samford MMA, which, you know, under Henry Hooft is the former Black Zillions crew. A pretty high-level team there as well. Uh, Baez is 2-0 in the UFC, whereas Sato is 2-1. Both guys have two knockouts, which is pretty, you know, pretty impressive for first couple of UFC fights. Here's the thing. Baeza, he took a couple of those shots from a really old Matt Brown. He didn't look great. He was buzzed a little bit. And Matt Brown is a heavy hitter. I get that. And he's experienced and crafty. Um, but that that does concern me. Both guys tend to get buzzed and recover quickly. Both guys have serious power on their hands. The right calf kick, which Baeza loves to throw, that doesn't work well against the southpaw since you're more likely to hurt yourself by hitting your opponent's shin when you're an orthodox fighter against the southpaw. 
which should take away one of Baez's main weapons, right? The jab is harder to land against the southpaw as well, which is another one of Baez's big weapons, um, which kind of might just be eliminated from this matchup as well. Sato throws a really good uh, right jab from his southpaw stance and is used to landing that, landing that on orthodox fighters. Sato is really good at avoiding the right cross, which would take away, presumably, Baez's main power punch. Also, uh, like I, I think I would trust Henry Huff to come up with a better game plan than I do uh, MMA, the MMA, MMA masters, just watching them in the corners. Like they don't sound super bright. They don't sound like they truly understand all aspects of the kind of strategic elements of mixed martial arts. For those reasons, I was kind of favoring Sato ever so slightly, but I ended up back with Baeza because I think he might be more durable. I think Baeza can take more shots and and keep on going, whereas Sato, I think if he takes a couple of clean right hands from Baeza, I think it might spell trouble for him. So I'm going to favor Baeza ever so slightly because of his youth and the fact that I think he might be a little bit more durable. But Sato has all the experience edge here. He's got the better team. Um, easily, easily could go either way. And for that reason, I had it much lower down on my list. So I will agree with you here, but ever so slightly. Um, I think as far as the betting odds go, I, I would probably go with the uh, with the dogger pass on this one. My next pick is going to mean the Martin Day versus Anderson Dos Santos matchup. Uh, Martin Day trains with Max Holloway and the crew in Hawaii. He's a slick striker but relies a bit too much on blocking instead of slipping, which makes him more hittable than he should be considering his kind of skill level. But his offense is diverse, including spinning attacks and sidekicks as he consistently attacks the body. He lost a controversial split decision to Team Alpha Male's uh, Lu Ping Yuang in his UFC debut before getting basically starched by the underrated David Grant in his sophomore fight. Dos Santos is a well-rounded journeyman. He's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt and decent striker, plenty of heart, and will keep trying even if he's outmatched. I'm favoring Martin Day, who lands double the strikes per minute that Dos Santos averages. He should be able to avoid most takedowns and be okay in the clinch here. So you're going with, you're picking that one again? Martin Day. Oh, yep. so you're not going with the guy whose name comes from an MMA name generator. Okay. No, um, <laughs> no sir. I also had, uh, I also had Martin Day there. I'm gonna. Hmm, this one's gonna be really tricky, and if there's any fight that bites me in the ass on this card and causes me to lose, it's probably gonna be this one. Um, but I'm gonna go with the heavily favored um, Spike Carlisle to take out uh, Billy Algio. Uh, Carlisle, who who um, was defeated in his last fight after a, a really awesome first round, uh, and he kind of ran out of gas. That was against uh, Billy Quintri. Uh, Quarantillo. Billy Quarantillo. Um, I guess he's only fighting Billy's at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Whereas Algio had a spirited loss again as a late replacement, if I recall, against Ricardo Lamas. And he That's looked right. really good and had Lamas in trouble early in that fight, which nobody expected. Now, did that have more to do with the declining uh, Lamas, who was unprepared for that opponent, or for uh, Billy being really skilled? But so you maybe have a, a two hot starters coming off here. And the question is is Carlisle going to have anything after the second round? Um, and you've got to all, I mean, you've got to wonder like if he's thinking about his upside in the UFC, does he want to be a one round fighter or have they worked with him about patience? If they have, is he going to be as effective without that blitz style? Um, you know, but all he, but he, he, like, I don't know, but he is, um, listen, this, this fight, this fight can go either way. My guess is that Carlisle's going to go with what's mostly worked for him and figure out a way to get an early finish. Yeah, uh, I don't know about an early finish because Algeo, I don't, I don't think he's been finished yet. Carlisle is a tough, gritty fighter training out of Kings MMA. He pressures whether he's standing or on the ground, but generally prefers to work from top position. 
Um, he's a finisher with seven of eight wins coming by stoppage, and he's coming off of, like you said, that controversial decision loss to Billy Quarantillo. If you watch that fight, Nick, I think most people would probably score those first two rounds for Carlisle. I did, even though he was exhausted, right? Yep. Um, he that's the thing in that third well, round. Well, exhausted in two. He wasn't exhausted in one. <laughs> but no, no, that that's true. But that's the thing is that even in that third round, when he was exhausted, he was still landing takedowns. Yep. And that's impressive. That, like, uh, you know, I've talked before on this podcast about the idea that anybody can keep fighting through like, extreme exhaustion, right? You can keep pushing through and still put out a decent amount of output. Um, it's just a matter of are you mentally strong enough to or not. And Spark Carlisle showed that he is. And that, that to me was impressive against the guy that's known for coming back and winning in that third round. Algeo's a tall southpaw, six two. I mean, for this weight division, that's insane. That that, that that's height, right? super tall. Yeah. Even though his boxing is not great, he throws consistent, effective kicks. He likes to pressure. He's fairly hittable by a good boxer. His wrestling defense is a weakness, but he has a lower Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. Like, he's not exactly, like, elite in that. Once you're on the ground with him, you're screwed by any means. Um, you know, sometimes he has trouble kind of controlling guys. He lost to Ricardo Lamas, like you said, in, LG, in his UFC debut in Lamas' retirement fight, and he took that fight on super short notice. Uh, so there's a good reason for him to kind of get tired. I think it's a combination of the fact that Lamas is kind of a fraction of his former self, and Algeo is coming into his own and really putting it all together. Um, to his credit, he took that fight on six days' notice and did much more damage in the decision loss than did the winner. Um, given the slight lean to Carlisle, since he will close the distance, making it harder to kick him, Algeo will could very well take over from the second round since Carlisle has no energy at management, but uh, I'm, I'm sticking with the favorite by a very slight margin. But on the betting lines, this is probably a, uh, this is probably a dogger pass for me. Next, Nikolai, uh, this is where things are really tough. I mean, we, we've got the uh, Lionheart Smith versus Devin Clark matchup and the Ashley Evans Smith versus Norma Dumont fights left. I think I'm going to go with Devin Clark to take on the slight favorite in... Uh, to defeat Anthony Smith. To defeat Anthony Smith, yeah. Look, I was I, that I was that my that was my pick also to be, uh, was to be it? honest. Yeah, yeah. I know a lot of people are picking Anthony Smith because I think the logic is that this is a big step down in competition. So Smith is going to be the faster guy. He's a he's a fast fighter. He's got good Brazilian jiu-jitsu against non-Brazilian jiu-jitsu specialists. He can time takedowns under opponent's straight punches, and he looks great when pressing forward and looks terrible when backing up. Yeah. And the thing is that he's a slow starter, and he can accept bottom position if if an opponent gets uh, gets on top. At some point, his goal switches from winning to just surviving, like he did against John Jones, like he did in his last couple of fights. He has enough heart to come back if an opponent is suddenly exhausted, but not if an opponent is continuing to put on the same kind of offense. He does well against aging veterans who should be retired. Um, and he might do like well against young guns who have very little experience in a limited gas tank, but I he doesn't do that well against guys who have, you know, good experience, good gas tank, who actually have some skill parity there. Um, and Devin Clark has looked better and better over the last several years. He's he's clearly been improving. He's coming off of a big upset victory over a previously undefeated guy. I think Devin Clark should be able to get top position here. I know he doesn't have a great chin, and Anthony Smith just needs to explode a few times. And I know that Devin Clark can be susceptible to backing himself up against that cage, but I think mentally he should have the confidence to take Smith down, control him, land some shots. Uh, his boxing has improved by quite a bit. His chin might not be awesome, but I think he's made a lot of leaps and bounds in his technique and in his mental game. So I am taking Devin Clark, but 
look, we could see Anthony Lionheart come out here and look good. Um, I think there, there's been some rumblings about Anthony Smith and that, that home invasion. It sounds like a really traumatic experience. It could be like a PTSD thing, man, Is that and that he's never really recovered for that mentally on top of the beatings that he took in his last two fights. I just feel like Yeah, he didn't take that much damage against Rakic, like certainly compared to his Gilbert Teixeira fight, but he just looked frustrated and like he had no solution. I mean, that was largely a top control victory, but um, it wasn't. You know, I can't imagine he felt that physically awful the next day. That said, after that Teixeira loss, I w- he should have taken a year off at least. Um, that was a soul. That was a soul capturing defeat. Um, so I'm, I'm. I mean, I look at like Clark's uh, wins over a lot of like his last like three fights are against guys who are not really. I don't want to say not UFC caliber, but they're all guys who've been getting beat pretty consistently. Um, with Menafield, Townsend, uh, Darko Stozik, I think was the other one. Uh, yeah, he lost to he lost to Ryan Spann in there, who's who's a you know he was a tough out, but um, certainly I wouldn't put him in the uh, in the elite. So Clark is a big step down, but the question is how far has Smith fallen, and did we all uh, did we all overrate that Gustafson win based on you know? where Alice Eric Gustafson is in his career um, and his, his, and his will to continue fighting. So it's one of those things right now where it's like, until you, until Anthony Smith proves otherwise, like there's not a lot left to give. Uh, So we'll see. Um, That leaves me, but I'm with you on that, on that pick. Uh, And that leaves us with a really, a really tough call. Uh, Ashley Evan Smith has had um, a a slightly uh, higher uh, profile career She's also, I believe, fought at, you know, at um, flyweight versus uh, versus featherweight. So I think that Norma's going to be uh, the bigger the bigger woman in here. She's 5'7", 67 inch reach. Um, and you're and you're dealing with Ashley Evans is five eh, five eight. I mean, she's going to be taller. And the, so the fight. Um, and I think so. And the fight's going to be it's a bantamweight fight, but Norma's fought bigger. And Ashley Evan Smith has fought smaller. So, I mean, a really, really tough one to call. Um, Jeez. (laughs) I'm just like, yeah, the reason this is uh, the last pick on basically both of our lists, right? Yeah. It's, um, and Topology has it 54% for Ashley Evan Smith against 46 for Norma. And that's probably because Evan Smith is the better known fighter. Yep. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Norma based on her. Uh, based on what are the betting odds? Also, I should look at based based on um, just expecting her to be the bigger woman in the cage. She's the underdog at plus at plus one fifteen. Uh, the Brazilian yeah, the Brazilian pretty, fighter pretty is tight betting odds. Yeah. Um, but geesh, yeah. I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna roll the dice on the uh, on the on the Brazilian fighter. Who's on, whose only loss, by the way, is to um, is to Megan Anderson. That's true, but I think the reason that's her only loss is because she's been smoking tomato cans outside of that fight. I'm favoring Evan Smith super, super slightly because I think she's going to pressure. Like she's got that gatekeeper experience, right? She's fought some pretty good opposition. Um, she's hung in there with some decent opponents, and I know like she doesn't have a whole lot of great moments, but it seems like she has some skill overall. With where with Dumont, it's hard to really find enough tape on her to like be sure of what she has. I think she's like athletic. I think she's uh, like heralded. I think she's probably being focused on in her gym as like one of the main fighters. 
But again, she's been fighting tomato cans leading into her UFC knockout debut loss. Apparently, Dumont was a Sandow champion, but I haven't seen signs of that in her fights because if she like if she shows that kind of skill, then she can win this fight. Like she should have the edge standing, and she should have Sandow as kind of like a kickboxing um, takedown style, where like you don't do anything once the opponent hits the ground, you reset, but you score points with those takedowns. So not much confidence here due to a lack of uh, Dumont footage, but I'm favoring Ashley Evan Smith ever so slightly. Uh, another one that we disagree on, Nikolai. Um, and that, I reserve I reserve the right, I reserve the right to text change that pick um before before the tomorrow yeah, yeah that, that won't be and that won't be based on your analysis it'll just be oh, like absolutely not nick never it, no um no it, it it is a it is it is a tough fight to pick for good reason i think especially when you have one person who you don't have any tape on it was the same thing last week but that's sasha Polotnikov or whatever his name was there was really no tape on him even though he looked slick you know a few years ago it's hard to tell what he really has and he came out and he you know waded through that storm early on and then ended up getting that win uh, as a big underdog over Kashi. Um, the, you know, the odds are not nearly as wide apart here, but the lack of tape is still an issue. Your first pick, Nikolai, was uh, Josh Parisian to beat Parker Porter. Second, you took Gina Mazzani to beat Rachel Ostevich. Third, Miguel Baeza to beat Takashi Sato. Your fourth pick was the Alpha Ginger Spike Carlisle to beat Bill Algeo. By the way, Senior Perfecto. I kind of I kind of dig Bill Algeo's uh, uh, nickname there. Your fifth pick was Norma Dumont over Ashley Evan Smith. My first pick was Kai Kamaka to beat Jonathan Pierce. Second, I took Sue Maderji to beat Malcolm Gordon. Luke Sanders to beat Nate Manis was my third pick. Fourth, I had Martin the Spartan Day to beat Anderson Dos Santos. And finally, my fifth pick was Devin Clark to beat Anthony Lionheart Smith. This one should be interesting. I think, you know, for many reasons, it could go either way. I feel like I did end up with a few of my top picks, but it's hard to really picture how a lot of these fights are going to go a lot of these odds are pretty close to even for good reason should be interesting Nikolai looking forward to next week you need to get this win Nick to bring us within two of each other and then and then you kind of got to go pretty much I think undefeated for the rest of the year to pick up the win for this season um, you got to take some chances Nikolai you got to really go for it maybe next season we're going to talk about how we can uh, kind of give more credit to underdog picks because I think that would motivate us to, to for example I would be motivated to pick Parker Porter earlier on as an underdog if I can get extra points for it with him as the underdog. That's interesting. Um, so, so maybe that's something we can implement. We can discuss this over the coming weeks. We can also figure out maybe a better way to break ties. I was thinking that maybe we could, if there's like a fight that we disagree on, where we could automatically make that the tiebreaker if we both agree on on that last pick. Do, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, um, I see what you're saying. I feel like that might be the best way to go because if we both agree on the tiebreaker, then it's kind of silly that one of us gets a win and the other gets a loss for it. Um, so we're, we're going to figure out how we do it. Maybe our tiebreaker will be, Nick, that whoever makes the overall um, correct number of picks. So let's say you have eight picks correct and I only have seven picks correct uh, outside of the draft competition. Maybe the winner will then be decided by that uh, in the case of a tie. We have a lot to figure out for next year, Nikolai. But in the meantime, you got some catching up to do, kid. You know, I've done a lot of catching up already. I was down. Yeah, you have. I don't want to say I'm a big fan of moral victories, but what was it? What was it at its worst? What was I down? Like, I can't remember. 10, 10 to 4. I was, yeah, yeah it was I 10 you. to 3. Like, I was down. And, yeah, uh, and then a, a bunch since, of tiebreakers, a bunch of ca- half point victories really caught you up there, Nicola. And a couple of, uh, you know, and a couple of flying elbows off the top rope. But, um, <laughs> But yeah, I dude. So you're I, saying that it was a pro wrestling match, therefore it was rigged. Therefore, that's the only reason you want. I no, I'm I'm saying <laughs> I've played. I started doing more homework, and I've been playing you tough. 
Um, so we'll see. I won't, I won't say I'll be happy with a moral victory, but, um, I'd like to see, I'd like to see how close I can get. And with some of these real exciting cars over the next couple weeks, if people can stay COVID free, um, again, we've got that, like, let's just look at, let's look at what we've got left this year after this weekend's like absolutely shit burger card. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a we've got you next, right? UFC. No, no, it's Jack Hermanson versus Kevin Holland. Oh, okay. oh, and that the, that's an ugly card also. Is it overall? Let's oh, see, man, man. God. Um, I would say Hermanson Holland is a decent fight. It's oh, a yeah. good way to get into the top. It go, and, and, and there's a bit. It falls off a cliff after that. Oh, yeah. You're not kidding. We got Jake Collier versus Gian Vellante. I mean, neither of these guys belong in the UFC. Bech Kohea versus Yan Anbu. I'm not there, sure either of these belong in the UFC. There's a good fight man, at 145 for the men. Mavzar Evloev against uh, Nate Landwehr, that crazy redneck oh, yeah. motherfucker. That's I a, am into that fight. That's Very a good fight. That. And they moved Quinones Smolka. That's still, that's still a good one. Don't need to see Matt Wyman fight again. OSP um, Jamal Hill, Nick. That's a great fight, man. That's Jamal Hill's kind of entrance uh, into that top 10 territory. Is he ready for OSP? That's yeah. fascinating to me. Yeah, I guess OSP did just have a knockout. He did just have a knockout victory. So that's that's not terrible. But it's overall, no, it's not. No, a, I, th- I think that's a solid, uh, solid fight in itself. Damon Jackson versus uh, Ilya Tuporia. I don't know if you remember Ilya. He's that Georgian guy who scored the last minute uh, kind of upset uh, over Yusuf Zalal. He took that fight on short notice, kind of dominated Yusuf. And then Damon Jackson's the guy who scored that uh, comeback from behind win over Mirsad Bektik, also on short notice. That's a great fucking fight, Nick. Like, there, there are probably three or four fights. Gabriel Benitez versus Justin James should be entertaining. That should be fun to watch. Um, but yeah, there's a bunch of people on here that don't belong. Oh, Talia Sanders versus Montana Del Rosa. Here's what I'll say, Nick. There are four or five fights on this upcoming uh, next week's card that are very much, I think, worth watching. That are that that will have implications for their divisions. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's better than this week's card, but it's still not a great. Listen, you gotta you gotta current. Well, maybe they're gonna add more stuff because everything currently listed. In prelims, we lost Stamen versus Devashvili, which would have been awesome. Oh yes. Um, and then we also by the way, Honey Barcelos Devashvili against yeah. There were two Devashvili oh, fights that both uh, neither one worked out. So that that's really would have rounded this card out. I don't know what the co-main event is. I hope it's not Beth Kahea against uh, Ian and Wu. Um, Nick, you know what's going to happen here for this card? I think the MMA gods are going to intervene on your behalf as they consistently have since COVID began. I think they're going to give Marab Devashvili like some no-name, like like 16 and 8 opponent who kind of fills in the last minute, and that's going to be your first pick next week, and that could be the difference, Nikolai. We'll see. Um, and then after – so after that card, we've got – I'm clicking along to the that's, topology that's the here. That's the I believe. Uh, but, but, but yes, then you've got again, Davis and Figueredo headlining his second pay-per-view that I love it. this is an amazing card. Uh, we talked about a little bit at the beginning of the show, Figueredo Moreno, Ferguson against the Bronx, Dern versus John DeRoba, Vittori versus yep. Jacare, Junior Dos Santos versus Cyril Gan, Dwight Grant, Jing Lee Lee, Tisha Torres, Angela Hill. These are all interesting fights. Really is, Peter yeah. Barnett against Chase Hooper, something of a get right fight for Chase Hooper, probably. Gavin Tucker, Billy uh, Quarantillo is interesting. Fantastic fight. Like, yep. this is, I mean, uh, Moicano Fiziev, if that happens. I mean, that's that's a stacked-ass card. Way better than the last pay-per-view card. Um, yeah, no, no. Cub Swanson versus Daniel Pineda, Nick. Andrea is, Lee, Jillian Robertson, Hanato Moicano, Rafael Fiziev was switched yep. to this card. This is like a hardcore fan's dream, this card. it's fantastic. There aren't any major names, right? But there are some interesting prospects. I don't contenders. know if you would – I don't know. You wouldn't call uh, – you wouldn't call um, 
Tony Ferguson a major name? Yeah, that's true. No, or, you're right. Or Tony Davidson Figueredo. Uh, Tony Ferguson is a good name. Figueredo is on the come up. I think he deserves yeah. to be a star, but he's not quite there. Um, I'd love to see him get there. And obviously, we're going to see uh, the Brandon Moreno matchup. I think that's compelling, man. I, I know that Figueredo is going to be a favorite here, but I'm curious to watch tape with these two in mind. Like I said earlier, like it should be fascinating to see um, which There's one. There's a of these great card through. right after that too. Totally stacked. Um, this is an ESPN Plus card. You got Leon Edwards against Hamzat Shemaev, Stephen Thompson oh, yeah. against Jeff Neal, Greg Hardy against Tabura. Check out this Rob Font against Marlon Moraes. Moraes in there much faster than I'd like him to be uh, after a head kick knockout. Um, well, knocked L TKO, I should say. Serkinov Span, Aldo versus Cheeto Vera, Chaos Williams Pahea, Pantoja versus Manel uh, Cape or Cape. Who, yeah. I don't know. Okay. Rick Glenn is coming back. Tyson Nat, Matt Schnell. That's like a guarantee. Mohamed, uh, Diego Lima. That's interesting. Yep. Yeah, this yeah, is... there's some good stuff coming up. Sajara Eubanks versus Panny Kanzad. That should be oh, yeah, kind of these an all-attrition fight. Fights. So, wait, so that's um, there's th- that's three cards. Let me. Is that it for the year? Is there one on like? I figured they usually have one right around New Year's. That's that's on the 19th of uh, December. Let's see if they have anything after that. I know this is compelling podcast listening right here. No, there's not. The next fight after that's January 16th. So these are your three cards, Nick. You've got to Oof. you've got to win. Um, I have I to win all got, three of them. You've got to win. win three of them. Well, yeah, you've got to win. You also have this weekend's card, right? So we're talking about four cards in total. You've got to either win three and get one draw, or oh wait, if you win three and get one draw, then we're tied. So yeah, you've got to win all four cards. I think Nick to score a victory here. This should be interesting stuff. Got some work to do, kid. Ties as good as a win. All right, I'll. Uh... <laughs> uh, for you, it really is. I, I believe it. <laughs> if we consider every tie as a win for you, then you know our, our records are, are a lot closer, and you've got a slight edge. But unfortunately, it doesn't work that way, Nikolai. All right, my friend, I'm bored with you. I am going to go on and do other things. You keep, uh, you keep being tall and handsome. You keep being average height and handsome. Oh, thank you. If I win this week, I think you've got no shot of winning the season. So I look forward to celebrating that, Nick. I look forward to a dominant victory over you. Oh, wait, 16 and 13. You're right. If you win, I won't be able to close. You're right. Yep. Yeah, I like it, Nick. I just I just got to get one win in the next four cards. Oh, <laughs> I don't like this card. This is not a good uh, This is not a good card, this one coming up for me. To... No, it's, it's not a great one. But if you need to change some of your picks, you do let me know via text. And maybe maybe we'll, I'll post it in the description of the podcast so, so our listeners can be kept aware. Nikolai, I had profits in 12 of the last 15 weeks on the betting guide, uh, including last week. I'm going to hope to do it again this week, Nikolai. This has been a great season for us in that way. We're going to take a break. I'm going to come back and break down the following card for you when it comes to the betting lines. Do it. I'll talk to you next week. Later, bud. Bye. Back on the podcast for the MMA Geeks betting guide. Last week, we had another profit, $52 in total. Not something that's going to change anyone's life. But again, in total now, we're at $1,006 and we started at $300 about two and a half, almost three months ago. This means we've had profits in 12 of the last 15 events, which is a success rate that I'm very happy with. And like I always say, there's no hedge fund that's going to give you this kind of return on investment in several months. 
you guys can bet double, triple, or five times the amount that I'm recommending. You could bet half the amount I'm recommending if you're kind of new to betting. So any of that works. Obviously, I'm betting uh, at a different ratio than I'm recommending on the podcast since I'm trying to be kind of novice, better, friendly. And on this week, we're not going to put a whole lot on the line, but I do see some opportunities for profits. First, I recommend a prop bet on Parker Porter inside the distance, plus 275, $18 to win 50 on that one. I'm not a big believer in Porter's opponent, Parisian. I think he's overall overrated. He's been submitted. I think he's been TKO'd in the past, and Porter is able to do either of those things. I think there's a lot of hype over a guy that's on a six-fight winning streak over mediocre competition going up against Porter, who made his UFC debut and lost in the first round to a hot prospect. My next bet recommendation is Algeo in the third round, plus 2,500 odds. I just feel like the odds of Carlisle tiring out and being exhausted in that third round, catching a head kick, I think that's very possible. So five dollars to win 125, and LGO in the third round. There's not a whole lot of risk there, but a big reward if it does work out. Also have a parlay for you guys, Devin Clark and Kai Kamaka. I have some concerns about the fact that this fight has been turned into a five rounder between Devin Clark and Anthony Smith. But we're only risking 24 bucks to win 50 between these two. I like Kai Kamaka. I don't love that he took this fight on short notice, but I do like his odds here. I, I think he's a much better fighter than his opponent, even despite the difference in notice to the fight. Next, Sue Maderji and Rachel Ostovich, plus 265 combined odds, $19 to win 50 on those two. I feel like Ostovich has a decent shot here. She's the most skilled fighter, even though she's going to be significantly smaller in this matchup with her opponent coming down actually for the first time to 125. I'm also going to hedge this bet like I often do with a couple of minor bets on Gordon, who's uh, Maderji's opponent. He had kind of weird circumstances going into his UFC debut. He wasn't really able to train because of COVID lockdowns out there in Canada. And this time, from what I understand, he stayed in the gym from that loss all the way up until this point. Came out to Vegas a few weeks early to really get the work in, make sure he's acclimated and make sure that he's not hampered by the lockdowns in his city. I think he's in Ontario. So $8 to win $48 on Gordon by submission, and also $7 to win $49 on Gordon by decision. A little bit of a throwaway. I'm not super concerned about uh, you know potentially losing the 19, 8, and 7 in the last three bets that I recommended. And then we have Luke Sanders and Martin Day in a parlay, plus 178 odds, $28 to win 50 on those two. I like both of them in the matchup. I see some risk there, especially with Martin Day taking it on short notice and Luke Sanders tending to kind of slip on a banana peel after dominating early, but that's going to be my recommendation. We already kind of previewed the next couple of cards for you guys. It should be interesting how the competition between Nick and myself pans out. Looking forward to seeing if Nick can pull off a win here, keep this thing interesting. Uh, But if not, then it looks like I'm going to have a big advantage and I'm going to end up winning this season. And that's going to be another win for your boy. I think that's three seasons in a row. Uh, Nick has improved, though, on his picking ability. And uh, I think he's going to be a real challenge without him having to work back from a big disparity. Looking forward to next season, if that is the case. Thank you all for the support. Please do write us a quick review and do spread the word about the podcast. We'd love to get our listenership numbers up. Uh, would love to have all of this research that we do kind of go to good use for more folks. Thank you for the listen and have a great holiday weekend.